to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. I am your host this week, uh, James Shergan. I am joined here by my good friend, Inyaki Liniero, who I'm watching sip some water right now. How are you doing, Inyaki? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I am doing uh, just fine. Um, have you? Uh, how's your watching been? Have you seen anything interesting in the past couple of weeks? No, not really. Not really. Uh, I've been going on a binge in, in actually uh, rewatching The Simpsons, which is a very strange thing to do. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like traveling back back in time where. Uh, you see just many jokes that were great and some of that you know required to know the uh, pop culture reference of the 90s early <laughs> 90s and whatnot. so you're saying um, that today's kids wouldn't enjoy Simpsons in the same way or at least they'd be a little confused by it I mean hell I, I, I was confused by it a couple of times myself because I mean you know they have uh, some you know like baseball pop culture from like 1991 and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know this. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know if baseball impacts very much of the culture anymore, at least not like it did in, like, the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there are other things where you're like, holy shit, yeah, that was true. Like, you know, they, they make fun of the yo-yo craze that we had in the 90s uh, and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Well, speaking of things that are old and have aged, we are doing two films this week, uh, done by uh, director Sergio Martino, um, and uh, these films are The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, released in January 1971, and All the Colors of the Dark, uh, which is another Giallo with a very similar cast and crew, uh, done uh, released in February 1972. So both of these films are post Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which really kicked off that golden age of Giallo. Um, and I think it came out um, beginning of 1970, so one year and two years after that film, uh, respectively. And uh, I think you can sort of see the influence there. Um, so we're going to start off with The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which is the first film, uh, first Giallo film done by Sergio Martino. He directed a few other films before. He was only 32 when this was released. Um, Inyaki, before I say the synopsis, what was your general um, impression of this film? How did you like it? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the second half a lot more than the first half. Um, I mean, without summarizing the plot, I do have a summary of how I felt like when I was watching it. Alright, hit it us. Felt to me. So, it felt like an erotic soap opera. Uh, yeah, uh, that's not totally wrong. Uh, there is a, it, it's definitely um, it got a lot of melodrama and stuff like that in it, uh, and uh, it's uh, there's a lot of nudity as well. <laughs> uh, can't deny that. Yes. Both of these films, honestly, both of these films uh, do not uh, uh, hold back on uh, on uh, some naked bodies. Um, Although like I would that. say this this one was uh, almost gratuitous. Yeah. I'm jumping ahead of myself just a little bit, but I uh, did, er, in preparation for this podcast, watch an interview with the director, Sergio Martino, who's still alive, um, just recovered from COVID, apparently, um, about uh, this film. And he oh. was saying um, 
that uh, during these films, uh, it's like right when censorship was starting to loosen, but it hadn't sort of fully loosened to where it was at. So what they would do in order to get sort of their desired product in front of it is to uh, record a bunch of scenes that they knew would be censored. So the censors felt like they censored something and then they would be able to keep the actual film that they wanted to show um, and that would be released. And so but what's happened is that as uh, time has passed and, and uh, standards have even loosened more, um, some of these scenes that he originally put into the film that were edited out by the censors have been put back into the film. So stuff that like he had no intention of actually being shown is actually in the film and the versions that we saw. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I thought that was interesting. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So wait, Shudder does not have the... Uh theatrical cut they they have the actual like yeah they have the full nudity uncut cuts. versions yeah yeah uncut uncut <laughs> I, I i think so i i uh yeah i believe that is correct for both of these films where they probably shot some uh extra nakedness and uh uh had that stuff fully expected to be cut and it was cut and now it's back in uh for our viewing pleasure um but you know what I'm kind of okay with it. I, I don't. <laughs> I personally didn't have a, a problem with it. Um, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. So here's the synopsis. You can tell me what you think. Uh, strange vice of Mrs. Ward. An ambassador's wife discovers that one of the men in her life, either her husband, an ex-lover, or her current lover, may be a vicious serial killer who targets women with razor blades in Vienna. Your thoughts. I don't like it. You don't like it. I don't like it. No. What do you own? No, because uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it sort of ruins the the twist a little bit as a summary. In the sense that um, the husband is not at all like a suspect, like throughout the entire movie. At least for me, like I was not expecting him to be at all involved in the you know crazy wielding racer thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, uh, you know, George, sure, and uh, Jean also, but, like, the husband, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they kind of, uh, yeah, he, he's definitely the most unexpected of the three. Uh, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. So it turns out that all three of the men are, are uh, dicks involved with a conspiracy <laughs> to basically uh, uh, mess with... Um, Shoot, what's Edwidge Fennick's name in here? Um, uh, but the main... Uh, Julie? Julie, sorry. Julie Ward, uh, with an H. Ward with an H. Um, uh, so it turns out that they're all all after... But, I mean, the, the, the synopsis also, it totally leaves out the plot in Barcelona, which is still a good half an hour, 40 minutes of the film. So, um, but that being said... I mean, we go ahead. I'm okay. I, I, I'm okay with, like, living out the places. I mean... Okay. Like this, there was so there was a summary for uh, like in um, in Shutter. Mm -hmm. Like if you actually saw the top of the screen, the summary was you know uh, uh, a diplomat's wife. Uh, it just when uh, diplomat's wife it, uh, believes that she's being stalked by a crazy uh, by a crazy racer wielding psychopath or something like that. Okay, that's like, better actually. Yeah, yeah, it's like. You know, all of that is a mystery, and and that pretty much sets out like what the experience is throughout the movie. Right, right, right. 
Okay, well, that is fair. Um, okay, well, let's get into the film a little bit. So this film um, has a lot of uh, pretty important players in just sort of the giallo industry in general uh, for the, the Italian industry in the early 1970s. Um, so I guess first I'll talk a little bit about um, uh, Sergio Martino. Um, so he was 32 when this film was released. He did, um, he's done a bunch of giallos, but he did five uh, early on that are really considered to be um, amongst genre classics. This is one of the first one. Um, uh, All the Colors of the Dark is, I believe, the third one. And he did a couple others that maybe we'll watch later on, maybe not. Um, and then he just sort of moved along with the Italian film industries towards what was popular. So he followed that up by doing a bunch of Polizioteschis. Um, and he's uh, dabbled in uh, all kinds of genres. He's done some Italian cannibal films. He's done some futuristic films based off of uh, Escape from New York. So he did a film called like 2019 uh, Escape from Humanity or something. I have not seen that film, uh, but uh, he did a film based in the future two years ago. Uh, now at this point, um, and he's just uh, he's had he's been a real journeyman in a way that someone like uh, Dario Argento has not, and he's covered a lot more different genres and, and things like that. Um, his bro- brother was the producer of this film, um, and his sister-in-law is uh, Edwidge Fennick, who plays the female lead in both of these films, who is also an extremely important part of um, the Italian giallo industry and is considered to be uh, one of the uh, great actresses um, uh, in this genre. Um, and, uh, I mean, is an extremely beautiful woman, um, notably. And, uh, I mean, they use her physique and, and sort of... I don't know. I mean, she's just very important um, uh, for these films. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I actually looked her up because I was like, I was kind of curious if uh, she's still acting now. And I noticed that she, she's been in some American movies, even in uh, Hostel <laughs> 2. Yes. Uh, Eli Roth, huge fan of her. Um, and uh, and uh, she uh, appears uh, in, I think that's her last credit, right? M- maybe, but I mean, even then... Like what? That was like what? Like ten years ago? Even then, she looked great. Oh, you remember her? I actually don't remember her. Oh no, I looked her up. Like I mean, I was like, uh-huh. I saw an interview, of, uh, like her Eli Roth and someone else, and like you know, being interviewed, and I was like, holy shit! Like she is barely aged. Like I mean, for yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think she's definitely one of the main highlights of this film. I think she's actually. I think it's an interesting role in both of these films, and I think she's quite good in both of the films. Um, and uh, she's only, I believe, 22 uh, when this film was released, and 23 mm. when uh, All the Colors of the Dark was released. So she's definitely quite young. I mean, now I guess she would be um, in her 70s. So, yeah, I mean, uh, still alive and kicking around. Um, okay, well, um, I have a couple other main players to talk about for these films, but let's just uh, sort of uh, dive into that. And, uh, I mean... So this is your first exposure to Edgewidge Fennec, uh, uh with the leads. Uh, um, and this is also notably a, a female-led giallo, um, which also contrasts it versus the Argento films of this period, where he tended to focus a lot more on the males. Um, how did you like that aspect? Uh, how did you find... Um, I feel like it, it, it tends to give off a very different feel than having like sort of your, your male... Um, like. Tony Musante character in uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, sort of investigating and stuff like that. Um, that's that's a very different feeling, the sort of like active investigation versus what Edwidge Fennec is asked to do in this, these films. How did you, wh- what was your general impressions on her role? 
Well, I mean, in part, it did remind me a little bit about, uh, like, to the first uh, movie we saw that was Giallo, uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, being in, in her perspective, um, um, with, with that said, uh, she was a very, uh, I mean, the, the, way, the, the way this was framed, I mean, the main character was woman, but then you do have to ask yourself, was like, oh, this is written by a man in the sense that, like, you definitely have uh, a woman with lots of, like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, rape fantasies and shit like that. <laughs> or, well, I mean, they were, like, you know, her background with the other guy, but she sort of fantasized it and really enjoyed it. And I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, it's also interesting to see, because she's a woman, uh, how... And this happens more in the second movie how like uh, when they feel like something is wrong everyone treats it as hysteria in one way or another yeah I mean I think that's a central theme I actually don't take that as a knock against the film at all I think that's uh, that's an important theme to both of these films is sort of like the gaslighting aspects and how we think of uh, women in these films as sort of hysterical so I actually take those as like a pro for the film rather the than the second a con. part. I, I yeah, the second part I agree. I, I do say it as a pro. The first part I'm like that's the part when when I was saying like the first part is more felt like written by a man. It's like I'm I'm always curious to you know how many women are actually like you know fantasize about rape or you know they look back to almost rape and be like oh yeah that was good. <laughs> well, okay. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we are both probably not the ideal people to. Um, be having this conversation so we'll try to keep it somewhat brief but i uh, uh i i was just actually listening to a uh, a uh, commentary by a bio- biographer or someone that wrote a book on sergio martino um cat cat okay. ellinger who uh has a uh she's a woman um and she writes uh, about horror films and stuff like that um and she was actually saying um how she thinks that's one of the great things about sergio martino is that he was talking about um, sort of female sexuality in a way that's like mm. pretty interesting and stuff like that. And I mean, frankly, I don't know. I mean, like I'm, it's she, she, her vice is basically that I guess she likes um, uh, rougher sex. So, I mean, it, it's sort of you're torn between uh, kind of this idea of like male gaze uh, v- versus, um, you know, just having a more uh, complex uh, uh, female portrayal of sexuality and stuff like that. Um, which is, I mean, it, in this film, I mean, you can't say it's simple. It is complex. So I think, uh, I think for me, uh, being a male and uh, being removed from that, it's hard for me to have a super strong opinion on that. But I do find it interesting, and I think it's quite refreshing um, uh, to have that uh, shown in the film. How accurate it is, I don't know. I mean, how rape fantasy is, I actually didn't. Th- I thought it came off as mainly from her perspective there, and um, I don't know. I mean, she never actually gets raped uh, in the film, too. So, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, complexities to juggle with this. Yeah. I mean, if it comes to it, I'll go more into detail on the rape fantasy. But if not, then I won't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Well, I actually think that... uh, that's one of the interesting things to talk about for these films. Um, so maybe this is the ideal part to you know, it's sort of like the dreamy nature to this, the, both of these yeah. movies. Um, and this is both how they show to show their most lurid uh, elements. 
Um, there's a really memorable shot, a shot I really love, um, where they uh, break a glass bottle and it sort of like falls on her. And that's so, mm-hmm. sort of supposed to be emblematic of, of showing sort of like um, her vice, quote unquote, um, that she basically uh, enjoys uh, <laughs> uh, enjoys uh, rougher elements. Um, uh, so uh, I, I think that's beautifully shown, honestly. I really love those shots. And uh, Ivan Rasimov, who plays the... Um, plays the villain in both of these films he plays john in this film i think he does a good job um he just has like he doesn't really have a ton of screen time but he's like just oozes like menace uh when he's on there it's like you're not quite he, sure who's going to be the villain but you're pretty sure he's going to be one of them yeah i mean like uh he has a, huge, a very intense face like or like he, he stares super intense in general i mean the the guy I don't know. I think the dude was poor. like the dude is like not a bad looking dude. However, he looks evil, and I'm kind of curious if he's just born looking evil. Um, <laughs> well, what? So it's funny you mentioned the, the the dream sequence where you know she's sort of dealing with uh, well having that erotic dream with a broken bottle. Um, that that's the second one. The first one is when uh, she hears about the serial killer, and she sort of remember or either dreams or has a flashback of Jean. Like that's the one where I was like, ah, oh, that almost looks like rape because she's ripping her clothes and like in the middle of a park where it's raining. And I'm like, all right, that's right. Ra- Wait, no, she's enjoying it. Is she enjoying it? She's saying no. But she's saying yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. I I want to say it's not rape, but maybe by twenty twenty one standards it is. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's it's not it's not. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, I mean, after all, it almost it does look consensual. Like I, that's what I mean by rape fantasy. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. I think they're playing the role of, you know, having this kind of rough sex, but there is full consent. But the dude is rough. Oh yeah, no um, doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, this is not a porno. There's no actual <laughs> for our viewers. Are you saying this because your wife's in the background? <laughs> oh no! So she actually saw that scene. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> she was like, "What the fuck is that?" But anyways, uh, no, no. I was saying it for our audience to be very sure that this is not. This is a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Like a real movie, <laughs> shown to mainstream audiences in the 1970s. Um, yeah, um, I also really like the way that that scene was filmed too. I mean, I think he oh, does yeah. a, like visually striking, like these scenes that show sort of like that uh, fetishism. I think they're really, really well done, um, just mm-hmm. visually. Um, so I agree. I, I, I agree. I love that aspect to it. Um, and uh, like. Especially because the, there's a very interesting filter put on the camera to give a give it a sort of a dream, almost not real situation. And then the lighting, especially in the first one, there's lighting where you can see the rain, uh, and like the water really reflects the light in a manner that. No, it's, they're both very beautifully shot, and you know, very artistic, if you will. Yeah, I totally agree on that. Um... Yeah, uh, did you have other thoughts on sort of um, uh, the character uh, Mrs. Ward, Julie Ward? I, what I thought was interesting was, um, since we're on the whole sexual theme, and um, the part where I would agree with uh, the author you mentioned, 
is how the movie does focus on uh, not just her but her and her friend and you know the fact that you know they, they do you know they, they do have needs of you know sexual nature and they wanna and you know uh, the husband apparently like the guy doesn't really put out on right I mean the hus uh, the husband is like the least sexual of the three men in this film exactly Mr. Ward yeah and, and then you have Gregory who you know the movie basically says he's really good looking uh, George I mean, you the, mean. the dude is good looking huh? George right George, name? sorry, is yeah. it Gregory? I meant George. Yeah, yeah. They have George, and the guy is good looking, and the movie says he's good looking and all that. And you know he, and it's really easy for him to you know get him with uh, get her with him because she's bored and she wants to be with someone who will fulfill that need. Uh, I mean, I don't even think she really cared about him saying "I love you." I think she's like, "Hey, you're good looking," and mm -hmm. clearly, my husband is. Yeah, war. yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I think a big theme of this film is like her husband is very unsupportive of her. I mean, even if he was not the villain of this film, I feel like he would be a sub villain of this film just because he's like so absentee and uh, just not a very present person uh with her so i i mean i think we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about her relationship in uh, uh all the colors of the dark uh as well as just like uh there's uh it's just like i feel like the this film focuses on relationships in a more interesting way than something like dario argento's films do where it's like the relationship uh in bird with the crystal plumage at least which we've talked about is it's just not it's not that interesting it's it's a, pretty much just a generic relationship whereas here um it it sort of um moves between those which sort of adds to kind of what you described earlier as sort of like a uh soap opera um uh melodrama uh, uh feel to it and i i agree with that point yeah um <clears throat> so uh okay uh, so let's talk a little bit, uh, I guess, about um, some of the, uh, let's see. Oh, one, one interesting thing, while we're sort of on the more of the sexual aspects of this film, too, is comparing this to um, something like the slasher genre, uh, which is another thing um, Kat Ellinger did in that uh, thing. And she makes a really interesting point in the sense that, like, the slasher genre, while it does tend to show nudity and stuff like that, it tends to uh, be very conservative in its values in the sense that you have sex mm -hmm. or, or you get naked. Uh, you tend to uh, have a shorter uh, lifespan uh, in there. Um, yeah. Whereas a lot of these giallo films, they have uh, people that are fully flaunting sexuality and stuff like that. But I don't think this film or other giallo films necessarily condemn them um, for that fact. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I, this is a tangent from that. I, there was this uh, reviewer, I forget the name, uh, that meant, that would describe Jason as uh, a very orthodox Christian man. Because <laughs> whenever he hears sex or someone smoking weed, he would stab them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he won't even show you his face to, to women. He's, he's, kind of, he's, he's like the Mike Pence of serial killers. Uh, unless it's his mom, then, then he'll show his face. Yeah, so he's like the Mike Pence of serial killers. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, mother. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Um, okay, well, let's talk about, uh, about some of the uh, other players of this film. So uh, both of these films were actually Italian-Spanish co-productions, which means that they mm-hmm. actually had to meet quotas in casting uh, Spanish-speaking people. So there's a number of Spanish-speaking uh, 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 actors and uh, actors in this film. Uh, George Hilton, who plays George, um, is from Uruguay. Uh, and uh, okay. he sort of uh, specialized, uh, he appeared in a ton of Giallo films, uh, sort of specialized in this sort of ambiguous, uh, handsome devil uh, thing where sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad. What was your impression of, uh, of uh, George Hilton playing George? Oh, he was really good. I, I mean, I, I liked the way he portrayed the, portrayed his role. Uh, the guy is good looking too, which uh, helps helps him being co- convince him, co- like makes him very convincing on what she's doing. Um, especially in the first movie, uh, and yeah, like the guy does definitely has sort of a mysterious look when he wants to. At the same time, like he. Most of the movie he plays it straight, you know. Like I'm, I'm like the guy. I'm like the nice guy, but just a little bit dangerous kind of guy, you know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, I thought he did a good job. Um, although I, I am surprised that Spain cares, cared about like they were open to any Spanish-speaking person and not just from Spain. Like that, that's an interesting fact you brought to me. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Well, well, let's move on to the next actor, too, who is also not from Spain. Uh, in fact, I think all three of the uh, actors I'm going to bring up here that are Spanish-speaking are not from Spain. Uh, also from South America, from Argentina, is, uh, is Mrs. Ward's husband, uh, played by uh, Alberto de Mendoza, uh, who, uh-huh. uh, I mean, he's probably the least uh, important of the three leads, uh, but he's... I think he does a good job too, um, just sort of playing this yeah. husband. You don't suspect him. Like, there's nothing that he does that really um, would throw any suspicion towards him. Um, and you're just like, oh, he's probably just a bad husband rather than like a bad human being. Um, but it turns out he's a very bad human being uh, in the end. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, most of the movie he actually plays the straight man. Man, You know, he's like, oh, the busy, the, the busy neglectful fool husband and that's pretty much it uh and then at the end of the movie when you see his like wilder side uh that's when his acting really uh shines okay i think like around the end yeah did you like him in the i mean we'll talk about that ending before which um i also personally greatly enjoy i love i love me some swerving uh in the uh yeah in, in, in the italian countryside or wherever the heck they are um uh they're in spain oh are they still in spain okay I wasn't yeah. sure. I guess they just took a train, so they probably couldn't have gotten too far. Um, and then lastly, uh, we have uh, Conchita Erodi, who I actually don't know where she's from, but uh, in watching some of the uh, uh, interviews and stuff, she's from South America as well, uh, who plays Carol, uh, uh, who is uh, uh, Julie Ward's friend. Um, so, right. so she's also from there. Go ahead. I mean, she's, she's pretty white, so I'm guessing either Argentina or Uruguay. Yeah, uh, which is where the other two are from. I mean, which lets them blend in pretty easily to play these uh, Italian slash uh, white characters. Yeah, even probably the accent would actually help out. I mean, honestly, probably the darkest person uh, here is probably like Ivan Rasimov, who's from Serbia, who plays the uh, John. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, well, did you have any impressions about uh, her or any of the others uh, here? Uh, actually, I thought her was like she was interesting. Um, I I actually tried to look her up myself, and there's not a lot on her. Yeah, she apparently became a film producer at some point afterwards. So um, I'm not sure. I don't I don't really know what happened to her. I actually thought she did a pretty good job in this film. Yeah. Um, she dies off um, a little bit early, like even before the halfway point. Um, but I think she's good. I mean, who doesn't like someone that keeps their underwear in the oven? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, and, like her character had a great sense of humor in general. Super sarcastic, almost never cared too much about what was going on. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of of the way that all of these different characters are created. Um, yeah, uh, 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 talking about that a little bit too. Uh, this film was written. Uh, actually, both of these films were written by a guy who is very important to Giallo film called Ernesto Gastaldi, who wrote a ton of Giallos. We've actually seen another film done by him. He wrote Almost Human, which also had pretty good writing in it, um, and. Uh, he is known for being a little bit critical of the Dario Argento films. He never really worked with Argento. Um, and mm. and uh, in the sense that he thought Argento's films didn't come together uh, very correctly in terms of plot and stuff. So he cares a lot more about sort of how these different elements mix and like the way that stuff is revealed and stuff like that. And I think it kind of shows in this film. Um, the way yeah. uh, that the, the three evil men come together at the end and stuff like that you're actually really confused for most of the film. Um, and you don't really realize that there's such a big plot against uh, Julie Ward. You don't re- you don't think that it's going to be all three of them, at least. Um, I think kind of halfway through, you probably realize, if you're smart about logistics, that it has to be more than one person. But, uh, uh, but uh, I-, I think they do a good job of just slowly revealing stuff and having like red herrings and sort of catching you off guard um, with the information. Um, so wanted to shout that out as well. I mean, I wrote in my notes. I wrote twist at least three times. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that tells you something. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about the twist then. Uh, now that we're getting uh, there, did you uh, during this film? How confused were you until like the last ten minutes? Um, confused, confused. I don't know. Like, so I kind of just took everything at face value. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to figure out. Uh, I mean, you know, I was trying to figure out a little bit of what what the mystery was, but at the same time, I was just kind of writing along. Um, I, I was a passive viewer, if you will. So when you had the first uh, twist, which is that uh, the killer. Wasn't just a comp- the serial killer from the newspapers was a complete rando. <laughs> um, I was like, oh shit, okay. So I guess there was, you know, like a complete rando was just chasing them and it was none of the guys. And then, you know, I look at the time and I'm like, well, there, there's still like more than half of the movie left. So I guess it's not just a rando. And then, you know, you get the second twist, with a, which is Jean was not dead, he's actually alive. And you're like, oh. Okay, I guess he's the killer. And then, you know, uh, she dies, and the movie continues, and I'm like, okay, I guess this will turn into a revenge movie. And then you get to the third twist, which is, wait, no. Um, uh, George? 
was in it too. So you're like, okay, cool. And then last twist is, you know, the diplomat was in it too. <laughs> you're like, all right, cool. Um, I mean, the, the biggest twist for me was the diplomat. Mm-hmm. Which in is fact, good. best for I, last. Exactly. When, when I was, com- the part that I got confused was when George was in it and they were talking about money. And I'm like, so George was gonna, like, I just didn't understand, like, what was in for any of them when it came to money, right? Like, why, like, at that moment, you know, Jen is like, oh, give me the money. And George is like, okay, here you go, uh, here you go. And then shoots him. And you're like, all right, but what is in it, in it for George? Like, why is he killing her? You know, and then, and then you get the diplomat. And that is both a twist, but also, like, it really solves the entire mystery. Like, everything comes together. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think the way the plot is structured is smart. I mean, I, when I watched the film for the first time, this is my second time viewing it, I had a very similar experience um, viewing it to you, um, just where I was just taking it in one by one, and I did not necessarily see the twist coming. I was not surprised to think that at least one person uh, was going to be a villain in there. I was de- certainly surprised that all three of them were. I thought there was a chance that John might actually end up being the uh, uh, good guy of the three. And in the end, it turns out that he seems the one that's most sad that uh, Julie Ward uh, has theoretically died, uh, too. So uh, where George comments that he can't live without her. Um, so I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting reading because my my reading was that um, when George killed Jean, the I and set, made that comment. It was more of a saying like, just to sort of to excuse himself to killing George one, and two, if George were to be found, to say, hey, George killed her. Or George found out that she died and, you know, he killed himself because he was so sad that she had died. Yeah, I suppose you could interpret it um, any of those ways, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little ambiguous. Um, One other interesting thing about the plot, um, before we just dive into the the fun ending, is... uh, 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 the plot was actually originally conceived without the serial killer. So Gestaldi wrote the whole thing without the serial killer. And then after Bird with the Crystal Plumage came out with sort of like its leather black glove killer and all that stuff, Sergio Martino decided to add that interesting bit into it. Um, hmm. So, uh, and sort of up the body count because now you get to show the serial killer offing off uh, random people. Um, and uh, otherwise, your body count's probably much, much lower. Um, instead, you get a couple of different set pieces where they're stalking into different places and, and murdering people. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so, good idea or bad idea? There's a serial killer out, and you really need to kill someone? Copy the serial killer. Good idea? Bad idea? Tell me. Good idea. Okay. So, you're pro, you're pro, <laughs> pro serial killer. Uh, copycat. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in this case, it makes sense to have a serial killer um, being there. And you're like, oh, shit, okay, this comes really in handy. Now we can kill 
this people will really want to kill. Yeah, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. This one just kills prostitutes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that serial killer didn't even have that ammo at the end because uh, he got screwed over by a, by a flight attendant. That was not a prostitute. I know. No, no, I know. I'm kidding. I mean, this one didn't even kill just prostitutes. It killed, like, the girl with the paper dress, uh, and then it killed, uh, then it stalked the flight attendant, right? Um, Quick question. The first time you watched this, uh -huh. did you rewind to see if you had ever seen the serial killer anywhere? Uh, yes, I did. I was like, because he's actually a very familiar Italian actor. He's in a lot of films, but he was not a character in this one. But I was also like, what the exactly. fuck? I was like... I, I, I originally assumed though the flight attendant was just going to die, uh, just like everyone else. I'm like, it's too early in the film, the serial killer is going to be revealed to be someone we know. But instead, as you said, it's just a rando. Yeah, I mean, I, that's one thing I did love about this movie, because given that this actor does appear to be uh, in other films, cause he looks really familiar, it definitely forced me to go back and and you know like i went to the part like i went back to the party scene and i was like maybe he's there no he wasn't i don't know it was just like <laughs> i mean that was pretty smart I, in fact i think you know back in back in the day when people went to the theaters to watch this it might even force some people to watch the movie again to figure like if they really were into like who the fuck is this guy <laughs> they might have gone to the theaters again just to you see if you know, they ha there's any clues for him, which there aren't, because it's really a rando. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, okay, uh, so uh, the finale. Uh, so they get off at the train, or they meet up at a train station, and then they get in a car together. I like some of the little touches where they're like they're commenting on the black gloves. They're like, "Oh, I threw my black gloves away," and stuff like that. They're sort of like little souvenirs from like the time where they like did strangers on the train and exchanged killings of, of, uh, one another. Um, yeah. uh, and then they just start smiling and swerving and it's a good time. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and, uh, you, you haven't seen a ton of these other giallos, but a common trope at the end is if the killers are going to get away, they just sort of drive off the road on accident. And that's sort of how they get their comeuppance. And that's how they oh. like, show it but this one actually avoids that they actually uh see julie ward well actually they do end up driving off the road eventually but first they see war julie ward and then they uh the police they get cornered um thoughts what what do you think are you uh did you like this ending did it work for you yeah it did although i i do wish that they had been arrested instead of uh perhaps dying mm -hmm. it would have been a little bit more poetic to me Okay. Justice. More more cinematic though. It, the bowling, the going and dying. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that car flipped and looked really cool. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I liked it. I liked how uh, she she made herself part of the the plan to catch them. I like that. You know, as an audience, you don't know that. I mean, we all think that technically that's the very last twist, right? That she's alive. Yeah. Um, but I, I I enjoyed that. I thought that the scene was really well done because everything worked out perfectly. And these guys are happy. They're just, uh, you know, swerving around like idiots. 
and then they see her and get past her and then they go back and yeah they come up and it's what happens and you have the uh, Spanish police along with a German detective being there to see them die (laughs) yep what would have happened if uh, if they're just driving crazily along the road and then they just like take out Julie Ward (laughs) <laughs> and then they died too yeah it was like what the fuck just happened <laughs> I would have liked that ending too that would have been the Tarantino way to end it yeah that's what I was thinking too they're um, like drinking beer and stuff and then all of a sudden oh fuck what <laughs> oh man that would have been really funny um, so can I bring something up about Spain and what I thought was interesting? Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with the movie, but it does have to do with political and historical context, which is something I do. Um, what do you think about the police, uh, the police officers' uh, uh, uniforms? <laughs> I apparently noticed. What do you think about the police officers' uniforms, Inyaki? Well, they look militaristic. Want to know why? Franco. Yeah. <laughs> so what is what I find interesting, and especially in that when you mentioned that contract and everything, is that the cops were probably real. <laughs> I mean, some of them were actors, but the, the people wearing the actual uniform were probably real cops. Uh, and they were militaristics. And, you know, the those uniforms were very fascist, actually. And by fascist, I literally mean fascist, because after all, Franco's government was fascist. Fascist. <laughs> and uh, it is interesting to see like so on my notes I wrote neither the Italians or the Germans could solve this but the fascist did <laughs> the, fa- the frankest fascist government was able to solve this crime <laughs> I, you're right I mean it was yeah the, the Franco fascist <laughs> did something yeah um no, I just thought it was interesting because, like, yeah, in all the other movies we've watched, you know, you have the police and everyone, but everyone's like, you know, it's civil police, like it was, it's police civilian uniforms. But when you're in Spain, like, I was curious whether or not they would like show anything that would be similar to the dictatorship. And then I, when I saw the cops, I'm like, oh yes, okay, yes, they are, they are fully going with, uh, you know, Spanish police. <laughs> and you got like a Franco's paint. Actually, there's a Franco picture in the background in one okay. of the scenes. So you don't think like, there are just a bunch of Italian guys like in costumes? No. Okay. No, 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 no. I, I think the. I mean, the, the scenes in Spain, they probably, they probably, probably did hire either Spanish people or straight up cops to do those scenes. Um, okay. Actually, it's very common for many of those countries to, even in South American dictatorships, to have cloths where no one can wear the uh, uniform Mm. unless they are really uniformed people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Might also help the Italians meet their quota for Spanish people in the film, too. So, there you go. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I thought that was funny. Um, uh, It's also funny because the other binge that I've been doing has been Star Wars. And it is striking how, like, Star Wars, like, the people in the 
empire and are you know designed to be copies of fascist like type of uh, uniforms and the Spanish uniform was pretty similar to that <laughs> well there you go so, weird tangent apologize to the audience yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no that's why we have you on the show Nyaki. you're the uh, esquire slash random fascist uh, uh, Spanish speaking uh, random trivia facts um, okay well the last thing I have on my list about this film um, is uh, just talking um, about some of the set pieces and scene highlights here. So I'm going to list off some. You tell me what you want to talk about. Um, sure. So um, uh, a couple of the first ones are the hooker in the plane, uh, followed by the furry coat, which opens the film. Uh, the uh, shower scene, uh, pretty clearly inspired by Psycho. Um, Carol, who dies in uh, sort of at dusk time in that big park. Um, the parking garage where uh, Julie Ward gets attacked. Um, any of these sound interesting? Uh, yeah. Um, probably one of the, my favorite was the parking garage. Okay, yeah, I like that one too. Uh, it's just, it really builds up the suspense. Also, there's a really good play with, uh, with the lights. Um, whether it's first, you know, starting with the, uh, I mean, we were talking about film, con the, the film setting is you got a, a not very well lit garage, uh, and the way that she's shot is that they're clearly, uh, lighting more, like her eyes are very well illuminated to sort of show like her perspective on how in a way alone she is in that scene. And then you got the, the play with the cars, lights going on and off until she almost gets run over by some idiot. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it was an idiot who almost runs her over. Oh, I, uh, I don't think so. I think that was one of the men. Oh. So you think all three men were in that building at that very moment? I think two of them were, uh, at least. Well, there has to be three. Okay, let's walk through it. So, let's say one was driving that car. So, that's one off. Yes. Then then what happened? There's the other, the other one is the, in the elevator that okay. went down yep. and tries to, to hit, like, you know. And then the third one is the husband. Because the husband could not be the, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. elevator. So, you don't think the husband... Oh, yeah, the husband couldn't drive off. Yeah, so, I mean, it's plausible. could be all three. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. Like, I really thought it was just some guy driving off and was not paying attention. You know, it, but the thing is, the the film does a smart job with that. Um, both of these films do, uh, which is sort of like that gaslighting theme of like women, they're forced to question themselves, like if these things are really happening and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's possible it was a rando, um, but it's also possible it's one of the three and it's, it's part of their conspiracy. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you mention it, like, yeah, it could be all three of them being there. Yeah. It just sounds like a little bit excessive. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, uh, I, I kind of think it's all three. At least I choose to believe it's all three. Um, but yeah, I also like that scene. I think it's really well lit. Both that and the scene where we find John dead, but not dead. Uh, I think right. I really like the lighting and the way they use like the lighter and, and low amounts of light in both of those scenes. I think they're both and, uh, really well done. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And in the John's dead one, it, 
one of the ma- one of the things that makes it so um, convincing, you know, for tricking the audience, is that all his animals are actually outside the cages. Do you hmm. notice that? I did not notice that, but that's a good call. Yeah, like the, the owl was actually flying around, so it's out, definitely outside the cage, and that sort of gives an idea that someone broke in into the place and you know left a big mess and killed Jean. That makes sense, actually. Uh, yeah, huh, interesting. So uh, that's why I thought he was dead. Like I was like, all right, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone rubbed off John, and then they left the flowers still uh, in the car. Uh, yeah. I also really like that scene, um, too. I think both of those scenes, the parking garage and the John dead but not dead, uh, make good use of the set. I love me some parking garage uh, sets. Uh, uh have filmed there myself before. <laughs> um, I also like the John setting um, because it's, like, super kind of, like, gothic, using, like, these older, like, big, old, creepy houses. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't like it when that's overdone, but I think for like one scene like this, I think it's like really suspenseful and they have to use like the lighter for the light. Um, I, uh, so I like both of those. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Although I did, I, I do laugh when a little lighter lights up the whole room, but, uh, (laughs) I, I I do agree that it was cool looking. You have to drop a little suspension of disbelief. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to read a couple more. Um, stewardess fights off serial killer, which is a little unexpected. Um, the harpoon gun. Uh, the ice cube, which is another of the scenes uh, talked the, about. And then uh, the ice the, cube is genius. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That that was one of those where I'm like, you know, he puts her in a room, right? Seals the place, puts the gas on, and grabs the ice, and I'm and. I don't know about you, like the first time you're watching, like, were you like trying to guess what the fuck he was going to do with the eyes? Because I was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Well, first you're like, you're like, oh shit, John's alive. And then you're like, what is he doing? Uh, and then, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty genius, actually. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. She got, she got pretty lucky, I will say, though, because that gasto was uh, like blasting gas in a very close you know kitchen without all the vents sealed right and there's a refrigerator right there that's like i mean that shit could blow up at any moment yeah uh she did get lucky for sure i mean uh i mean she's also lucky that uh the spanish doctor really knew what he's doing yeah yeah for sure yeah one more thing the sound effects uh, or the, 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 the yeah the sound effects in that scene were amazing because it really um, like the use of the of her heartbeat yeah yeah as yeah the background sound mm-hmm. uh, you know as he, as he's left as she's left there and you got the car driving back to the house with the traffic and all that and you just hear her heart thump 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 and just slowing down little by little like that really adds to the uh, suspense and it almost makes you feel anxious you know you're like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck yeah you know yeah this is this film is kind of like if Hitchcock was like much younger and and like ten times more perverted well actually Hitchcock is kind of perverted as he is but uh, uh, more Italian Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, there's there's some really suspenseful scenes and, and well done scenes in there. Uh, so uh, I like me some uh, Ice Cube uh, too. Um, any uh, last things you wanted to talk about uh, the film before we uh, wrap it up? I mean, so one thing is I do enjoy that there's uh, humor in it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are moments where they do make fun of the plot or even her character. Uh, the interrogation scene where she thinks that Jean is the killer. And Jean comes in and, you know, they're interrogating him, but, like, they already know he has an alibi. And they're talking to her as well. And then, you know, their whole drama, their whole, like, romantic relationship is being unfolded onto the detective, like, right in front of him. Yeah. And they're just like, he's like, I gave you everything you need and more, and then you marry another (laughs) man. And she's like... Oh, but you were too rough and and all that stuff. And the detective's like, uh, "That's enough. I don't <laughs> like your sex habits." And that's literally his quote. And I thought this is great. <laughs> I know. I mean, talk about a terrible move. It's like you shouldn't have them in the same vicinity. But yes, I I'm also. <laughs> the film does have a good sense of humor. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um. Okay, a couple last things, uh, just real fast to wrap up. Uh, the music was done by Nora Orlandi, who is a woman, which is actually pretty rare to have a woman do a soundtrack in this time period, um, who actually had one of the cues taken from this film uh, put into Kill Bill. So, interesting uh, little uh, small thing. Uh, the film was originally called uh, Ward, uh, with the last name spelled normally. But uh, supposedly the director met a woman who had the same last name and did not want to be associated with any strange vices. So he added an H at the end of the name. Um, if I was going to call a movie The Strange Vice of uh, Mr. Liniero, would you make me just like add a random letter to the end of your name? Uh, I mean, I, I guess you could take out the, the tilde on the end and end it with an S. So the vice of Mr. Lineros. <laughs> Mineros. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. Uh, you, you can just leave my last name. I'm okay with you. Uh, sure again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, all right. I'll well, take out the C from uh, Shurgan. Uh, okay. It'd be pronounced pretty much the same way. Um, I know. Same <laughs> <laughs> so with yeah, Ward. Oh, uh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, Shurgan. Uh, okay. All right. Um, who won the movie? Oof, oof, oof. Difficult question. Uh, I will... The writer. All right, cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I largely agree with you. I mean, I think this film also highlights... I mean, I think in uh, film culture and film appreciation culture, we can have sort of a... Uh, fetishistic relationship with just sort of like directors and stuff like that but this film really is a true collaboration i feel like we talked about a lot of different players involved in this film and uh i think there's a lot of people that really came together to make this film quite good um i'm going to give it to edwidge fennec i just think she's really good in this film um she's also good in the next film too but i think um if you're going to remember one thing about this film uh one performer you're definitely remembering her did you did you watch this movie uh dubbed I uh, did watch it dubbed. Okay, same. Because uh, the next one was not... Well, they're all technically dubbed, 
But the next one is in Italian, right? Yeah, yeah. I watched the next one subtitled. Okay, so yeah. I mean, that makes sense that we'd watch the same. Yeah. Well, we watched um, it from the same source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, okay, uh, all right. Now wrap us up with a rating. What do you got, Nyaki? With what? Rating. Oh, rating, rating. Uh, I will say... <clears throat> Seven or eight? All right. Yeah, I am eight or nine. Uh, this movie probably deserves an eight, but I really like it. I enjoy it on the scale of a nine. Um, I think it just does a good job of combining a lot of different Argento elements with more uh, interesting characters. I actually like this film a little bit more than The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, for instance, uh, which might be a little bit of uh, heresy uh, for Giallo fans, but I, I really like this movie. Um, okay. Um, let us move on to uh, some satanic cult uh, classic, uh, uh, All the Colors of the Dark. So I have a question. Yeah. Besides the same characters and director being, I mean, besides having almost the, the same actors and the same directors, mm-hmm. is that the reason why you picked these two movies? Just like... Um. Partly, and I think they're also an interesting companion together. Um, I think probably the central theme of both of these films are pretty similar to one another and sort of exploring the relationships uh, by this woman played by the same actress, Edwidge Fennec, um, who plays Jane in this one. And like the uh, just like the bad relationships around her in this one, she actually does end up having a male ally at the end. But I kind of think it's pretty clear that the relationship is not good too. Oh, so, yeah. so I think it's interesting that the way they're portrayed. So partly because of sort of the shared cast and, uh, and directors and stuff like that. And I also wanted to bring a couple female led giallos, um, uh, onto the show, um, to avoid just kind of doing more of those, uh, Argento, um, you know, uh, investigations and stuff like that. So yeah, those are a couple of my uh, motivations for, uh, combining these two. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, uh, what were your general uh, thoughts of uh, All the Colors of the Dark? Uh, it was good, but it lagged in a couple of moments. Uh, I mean, it was interesting uh, how... I mean, when, when, when we're talking about gaslighting as a film, I mean, this movie is half the time you're not sure whether or not you're in a dream or not, uh, which is what the character is feeling. And in that sense, it does a really good job. But at the same time, uh, there are moments where, in my case, it begins losing me. Also, mm-hmm. I, her character is not as compelling, uh, in my opinion, as the character in the previous movie. She seems like a weaker ca- character. She's more... Yeah, she's just like... She's, she's a... Even though she's the main character, she's very passive. Just things happen around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess my impression of this, this is the second time I watched this too. And my first impression of this is I liked the film uh, the first time around, but I actually had a very similar impression to you. I found it actually a little tiresome um, how passive her character was. Um, like mrs ward julie ward is not super active either um but uh it does feel like she's doing a little bit more in this film they mix up the locations like this 
Um, but uh, coming into this film this time, I did enjoy it a little bit more. I think overall, I prefer the strange vice of Mrs. Ward a little bit um, over this film. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot to still appreciate of this film. I think this film kind of, if if Strange Vice uh, sort of dabbles in the gaslighting, I think this film dives full on into the gaslighting. Um, it's cl- clearly um, very inspired by um, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um, yes. It's like if Rosemary's Baby dropped some acid. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll definitely talk about that a bit uh, too. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that, but uh, I wasn't sure if I should yet. But yeah, and, and in fact, if you've seen Rosemary's Baby, the first time you watched this movie, had you seen Rosemary's Baby? I had not. Oh, I see. Because yeah, if you've seen Rosemary's Baby, it the, it adds an additional gaslight to it because um, there are some assumptions you make that are not real, based on Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, I mean, especially with the husband figure, right? Um, you would, exactly. You would yeah. think that he might be in on it. Um, oh yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, like, yeah, I was just like, okay, so this is Rosemary's baby, the Italian Rosemary's baby. Got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I well, one last point on this. I I I did not confirm that this is true, but supposedly in an in interview, Sergio Martino uh, said that he was very inspired by Rosemary's Baby and wanted to make it less intellectual. And that's why he made this film. <laughs> I, and uh, I'm uh, I'm okay watching a less intellectual Rosemary's Baby for the most part. Um, Wait, how? What does that even mean? I'm not sure. We'll get into it. I, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I have not read the synopsis yet. I'm going to read the synopsis now. Uh, you tell me what you think. A woman tormented by frightening nightmares decides to join in with satanic rituals out of fear that a man is trying to kill her, but the sinister ceremony seems to bring her nightmares to life. You know, that's that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's good enough, yeah, too. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, um, okay, where to start on this film? There's a lot to jump into. This This film, I feel like, is... Uh, a little more ambitious than uh, Mrs. Ward, which I think is fine just being sort of like a very plot-driven, entertaining film that's like a little twisty-turvy. Um, I think it's a little bit too ambitious. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but there's like all kinds of different references to modernity in here. We got a lot of Freud and psychoanalysis. We get some satanic cult stuff. Uh, her husband works in the pharmaceutical industry too, so we see her having some stuff like that, which uh, kind of. Uh, so we have all these different aspects um, coming together in this film. Um, okay, let's start with uh, where we started with the first film, uh, with the main character Jane, uh, played by Edwidge Fennec. Uh, how did you find Jane and Edwidge Fennec in this film? Not as good. Not okay. as good. Uh, I think. And, you know, it could be the Italian dubbing. It could be many aspects of the movie. I'm not sure. Um, my main issue with her was that she... I mean, there there's moments where I just wasn't buying her emotions. There's hmm. one part where she she's supposed to be distraught and scared and crying. And she, it almost seems like she was laughing. Now, now, maybe that was a purpose. Uh, I don't think so. Wh- which part? Uh, 
I forget which scene. Uh, I don't know if I wrote it. Um, also, my notes are a lot more confusing in this one. <laughs> Although, I did highlight in a very, very big... Reminds me of Rosemary's Baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's one of those scenes where uh, she's being... I don't know if she was being chased, but basically the camera is on her. Uh, you can see her as a like profile view of her. So, and and there is where she seems to be crying for help, but it just didn't seem very convincing. That's it. That's all I gotta say. I mean, it's just one okay. of the, it was just like a small moment where I was like, maybe I got tired. <laughs> Did did you watch these films on the same day? Yes. Okay, I, I can and see I that. Them back, and I watched them back to back, so that, there's a high chance that okay. I was a little bit tired. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's also a whole ton of scenes where she's running like that too. So um, <laughs> that could have been many places in this film. Um, uh, okay, well, I think she, for the most part, does a pretty good job in this film. I think it's a tough role. Um, I think. This film in particular is it just shows a lot of loneliness. How she has just a really unsupportive partner who turns out to just be unsupportive in a non sinister way, um, and she gets to the point where she just literally can't trust herself. Um, she's like recovering from trauma. Um, she thinks everyone's following her. Sometimes she's right about people following her. Sometimes she's not. Um, and uh, it's a tough role. Um, it's not an incredibly active role. Um, but mm -hmm. I think uh, I think she does, for the most part, a pretty good job in selling it. Um, I think she's, I don't know. I mean, she has just such a striking presence in all of these Giallo films. Um, but uh, so, yeah, go ahead. So do you think that that's because, uh, you know, she's a good actor? Or do you think it's because she's really good looking? <laughs> I think it's a bit of both. I, I think she's. I don't. I'm not sure if I would say she's a really good actor, per se. But I think she's does. I think she has the right presence for some of these parts too. But I mean, she is obviously um, very attractive as well. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, I'm just giving you crap uh, <laughs> because she's very good looking. That's why I'm. I was kind of curious. It's like, are you are you giving her like you know? Thumbs up because uh, of her really uh, her acting chops, or you know, <laughs> you know she's just really attractive. <laughs> well, I mean, she is going to be like I feel like she, no matter what, she's going to be something you're going to remember from both of these films. You know who she reminds me of? Catherine uh, uh -huh. Zeta-Jones. Ah, uh, she got kind of got that darker look. Darker. Well, I mean, like she's really white, but uh, the, the the Italian actress. But I'm talking about like. The face, uh, uh, and like the way she uses her makeup and everything, you sort of reminded me a little bit of Catherine uh, Zero Jones, and I don't know that, and also the acting, because Catherine Zero Jones, okay. I don't put her as a really high pedestal of acting either. Okay, got it. I could see it. I mean, these Italian films, it doesn't take much to become a, a, a very good actor in these films. I mean, we're not working with like uh, Oscar-winning uh, actors in most of these. Well, and also the fact that they're all dubbed makes it really hard to truly enjoy or, or uh, like like truly experience how good or bad they were at acting. Mhm. Mm True. Okay, so before we jump full on into Satanic Cult and some of the dreaminess in this film, 
um, wanted to talk a little bit about sort of like the atmosphere of this film. And uh, I think one of the other things that uh, sets it apart from um, All the Colors of the Dark, which I think we didn't even talk about this, but it, it I think it uses great, uh, great locations in Spain, uh, sort of that sunny place uh, in Catalonia and Vienna. Um, but this film is set in dreary old um, UK, um, yeah. set in sort of like this really cold apartment complex. Everyone like in London, seems, right? Is it London? It might be London. Um, it, it very well might be. Um, everyone's like paler, um, and uh, it, I think it's it has sort of like that autumnal feel where there's like leaves on the ground and, and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, there's like some fog uh, throughout the film. What what yeah. did you make of the sort of like the constant atmosphere that um, Jane is living in? So I mean beyond the atmosphere in general, like looking at the cinematography, mm-hmm. I thought it was a really interesting location. I mean, the movie does play with it, its cinematography quite a bit, to be honest. Uh, I mean, like from the beginning, you have a very long shot where you just sort of at a, a shot of a lake on a tree doing, you know, during dusk or maybe dawn. I mean, basically the, the, the sun is out and you have this uh, pink sky with a mix of blue and green. It's a very long shot of that with uh, with natural lighting, but very beautiful mm-hmm. and this animal sound. And, you know, you got the credits. And I thought that was a good start for a movie that had nothing to do with it, with that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but what I mean with that is, like, you know, you got this peace moment and then all of a sudden you get the fucked up dream sequence, of, you know, the pregnant lady and all that. And then once you go back to London, it is dreary. And the plain lights in general, of natural light, I'm not talking about like uh, stage light, is interesting. I mean, everything is kind of gray. Even the moments where you have nature, they are kind of gray. And probably one of my favorite scenes was uh, at the London Metro or the Louvre or whatever that Mm. is called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where it also plays in its grayness, but also the lights just going in and out. Yeah, it's so in general, it's yes, it's it's a, a more oppressive mm-hmm. uh, movie, and I just find it interesting that the intro was like such a beautiful um, landscape scene with animals making noise and then all, the rest is just like <laughs> gray except for yeah. the blood that is very red you know that is an interesting choice and i think in retrospect probably not maybe the correct one um in terms of the stuff just because like i think the london and the overcast atmosphere is supposed to be more oppressive rather than uh 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 like happy um so i don't know right I mean, I mean, uh, it, what, what I find interesting, and I'm not sure if this is the title in Italian, I believe it is, but given that all the colors of dark, darkness, I mean, I would say, poetically speaking, like, that title actually matches quite quite well, because it does play with the different themes of darkness. So even at the beginning, I believe it's dusk, because it's like the sun is fully setting, it's just getting darker in that very first beautiful shot of the landscape. And after that, you are jumping between that, nightmares, underground colds, 
dreary London, so you're truly like experiencing just dark after dark after dark of different kind, some beautiful, most of it ugly. Yeah. I mean, so I would say, I don't know if the title was written, it was, if it was, you know, the, the title was, might have been inspired after the movie is made. Maybe I'm just reading into it more than the, I'm giving more credit to whoever wrote the title than it, it deserves. Yeah. Or if it really plays onto a theme, which is, you know. Right. Well, I will say that it's not a very good uh, title for like a London tour. London all the colors of the dark um and you just but, well actually but that it, is kind of a good name but i don't think that's it's a very, very accurate tool. name probably yeah yeah <laughs> i mean to be honest the same goes for seattle yeah um, i mean honestly yeah it, it, you're not wrong yeah it's like oh my goodness there's lots of green but it's all opaque because it's always overcast yeah yeah and it's just kind of very oppressive especially this time of year we're recording this in january um Hey, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I am of the mind that the atmosphere of London and stuff like that is a effective, but b, I kind of like the setting of Mrs. Ward uh, and the richer, lusher Southern European setting of like Spain and like I also enjoy Vienna uh, a bit more than I, I, I enjoy this. It's just more fun. Uh, maybe maybe it's because it isn't as oppressive. Um, so. Uh, I guess that's where I uh, I land on this. Well, you you become a Europhile, so I mean I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, like but, every but every not... time it's like oh Italy, Napoli. Yeah, yeah. I'm just joking. I'm just giving <laughs> crap. <laughs> yeah, but not not uh, not UK. It's not. It's no longer in the EU. So fuck them. Exactly. <laughs> but Ireland, Ireland is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same fucking weather uh all right yeah okay um so uh let's see uh do you want to just jump right into the satanic cult and talk about this well no before we do that let's uh let's talk a bit um sort of about one of the central themes i think in both of these films is just the uh uh the relationships with like her partners and stuff like that and how these are just like kind of bad relationships and i do like how the film explores that in both of these like uh and we kind of get a taste of a bunch of different relationships if we think about julie ward in the previous film as well as richard uh in this one and in this film it's like she's just trapped in like like they've had a past trauma with their kid it's not really clear why they're together. They don't really show a ton of chemistry, which is interesting because it's almost the opposite of the previous film where they uh, kind of just immediately sort of hit it off and they're flirting and they're going on the bike together and stuff like that. This film is just kind of like the London atmosphere. It's just a little more oppressive. The relationships are not that great. Um, did you have any thoughts on, on that? I, so, like, the way I felt about it is that, uh, I mean... If you compare Mrs. Ward's relationship with Mr. Ward, mm -hmm. the, the diplomat, that that relationship was neglectful. Ne neglectful, yes. Mm -hmm. It was neglectful. I mean, Mr. Ward was as always busy. I mean, there's a quote from that movie where she is like, "You prefer seducing other diplomats than seducing me." You know, like that basically encapsulates exactly what's happening there here 
I mean, you have a movie that is right after a drama that we didn't, do not experience, right? We don't watch that. And Richard is way more oppressive. Like Mr. Ward in the first movie is not present, basically. He's just gone all the time. Here, Richard is also gone most of the time, but when he's not gone, he's like, you must take this vitamins. Mm -hmm. You cannot get psychoanalysis, or you should not get, or actually don't get psychoanalysis. Your sister is kind of a bitch. All of those things, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, Richard is not a likable guy, to be honest. Like, no, he's not. There's no fucking redeeming quality of Richard at all. Um, so, in this one, not only is uh, Jane very lonely, but she's alone with like some asshole. Yeah. And it, it I don't know, to me it almost felt like she was in a in an offensive in a in a um in a like emotionally abusive relationship. Like even when he talked about the the uh, her miscarriage, um, you know, it felt like he's like, you know, I'm really sad about the miscarriage. And let, later you learn shit. He was the guy, guy who hit a fucking tree, which caused her miscarriage. So the whole thing was his damn fault. But, you know, it, it feels like he's putting that emotional problem onto her. And mm -hmm. she feels guilty then, then that they haven't had sex. Basically, all, all the negatives that she, are like fell, fall onto her. So she's a much more miserable character, like a much more sad and alone and just that's it and right and right. richard i think I, I mean i think richard is a terrible character well i think he's a terrible human i don't think he's a terrible character at all i mean i think it's I mean, interesting he's a good character he's a good yeah, yeah. A bad person yes yeah yeah i mean like the brunt of the burden certainly has fallen on her and i think it's clear that the film generally sides with her on this and richard is uh i mean not to make this joke but richard is kind of a dick uh so, uh, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> um, and it's it, so much so that like this film, uh, from the outside in sort of looks like it has a happy ending uh, in the sense that Richard and Jane both survive. Um, but you're kind of no. just like, it's, it, to me, it doesn't come off as particularly happy at all. It's like, oh, they survived and they're going back to kind of their old, old shitty relationship. It doesn't seem like they really solved anything like uh, yeah. the relationship and stuff so I kind of like that aspect to it the fact that it has this happy but not so happy ending um, I think it's interesting I think it adds a different layer to the film um, but yeah I mean Richard uh, good character not a likable guy um, I think the comparison to Rosemary's Baby I think it almost is adds another amount of uh, stuff to unpack to his character if you've seen Rosemary's Baby before because, I mean, like, the guy in that one, uh, Guy Woodhouse is his name, is, like, he's also a dick. He's a dick in a different way, uh, but uh, also not a good person. Dick. And you also expect him to, uh, and because he ends up being part of the plot at the end, you almost, like, expect Richard to, especially with the way he's, like, forcing all these different pills down her um, and all that stuff. And the yeah. fact that the uh, satanic cult actually kind of restores her sexual relationship to normalcy. Um, right. Uh, makes it gives him a motive at least to the audience so you kind of like 
you're you're suspect of Richard the whole time, really. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, but that makes it so when you get the plot twist with the sister, you're like, because I mean, you think the sister actually really does care about her, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like she kind of makes moves onto him, and you know, she's, she's so it, it's hard to tell. And you know, yeah. a psychologist. I guess I guess a psychologist is probably like the only one who you are like, maybe. I mean, she's really alone in this movie. Like, no one is a good guy. No one feels like a good guy. I think the psychologist is a good person, but uh, is like not equipped to deal with <laughs> all of the stuff that's going to be tossed her away. Clearly. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so let's go to the Satanism in this film. Um, so we have a couple. The two big set pieces in here are both the satanic uh, cult scenes, uh, where she sort of goes into this medieval castle into the basement, uh, and she has like the sex with the crowd, um, and uh, there's like this weird distorted lens. We have this really fucking acid ripped uh, trippy music going on. Thoughts? What do you think? I, don't... I really like the music. I thought that was really enjoyable. Um, the everyone just kissing her, um, maybe them having sex or having a group sex or or not or whatever's happening there. That was, I mean, it, it was interesting. I I, I thought the the, the <laughs> actually it reminded me a little bit of uh, this was something awful. Reminds me of Zoolander. <laughs> I don't know if you. I don't know how how long ago it's been since you've seen that movie. A long time. But there's an orgy scene, and it's very much like this, <laughs> <laughs> where you just have close up of different people, just like make it like kissing her, kissing the the woman, and and this. So <laughs> maybe that ruined a little bit the scene. Um, but uh, all I know, I mean. This is a moment where it's hard to tell about her, like what her character is feeling, because part of her is like she doesn't seem like she's really consenting to any of this, but it also seems like she's enjoying it. Um, but I mean, I don't know how I would look like after drinking the blood of a dog that was killed right in front of me. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, um, Okay, so to me, this comes off more rapey than uh, the Strange Vice does, for sure. Um, uh, yeah. But it's yeah. kind of hard to tell. I mean, like, I guess probably in, in the time, maybe it would come off a lot less tamer. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what a scene. <laughs> All right. those scenes, the way it, like, uses the lens and is just sort of, like, moving around. And they just, like, are immediately going for it. They kill the dog. They got the music going on. Um for me, these are my favorite parts of the film, just where the film is going balls to the wall, uh, just not holding anything back, um, and uh, yeah. But, I mean, the movie begins with a bang. Oh, yeah? The, the first dream sequence. Uh, uh, with the guy with blue eyes? I mean, that's, that's just one part of it. You got, uh-huh. so the very first dream sequence, and I'm surprised you didn't even bring that up, um, is right it, you, you don't even have a character yet this is right after that beautiful scene I, I, I explained right after that it jumps into a, a, 
I don't know if it's an old lady or is the guy with the blue eyes dressed in drags, wearing like with the you know those fake blue eyes, and it's just doing some weird fucking movements. You got a pregnant woman who is just bleeding, and then I think it's her who's also fucking bleeding, and then that drag woman like dies and then you just see repeated stabbing oh yeah yeah okay yeah i know what you're talking about now okay yeah yeah and like dolls and all that stuff yeah i mean that's pretty balls to the walls in my opinion i mean if we're talking about you just don't know what the fuck is going on i mean i maybe correct i'm kind of just thinking out loud here but i feel like balls to the wall it feels a little different when it's like in the middle of the movie and you have proper context versus like the film's just opening and there's just random shit happening, which is basically <laughs> what it feels like. You're like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, whereas true, like, true. you know exactly what's going on uh, when like they start killing the dog and basically having a giant orgy um, uh, to that music. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. fair so for, for me, yes, uh, the, the orgy scene uh, stuck, stuck out a little more uh, as a result. Um, uh, speaking of which, um, so they, that satanic cult has that, like, English castle right there. Right. That's a big place, and they seem to be just using the basement. What Do you do you think they're renting it? Do you think they own it and, like, uh, uh, Airbnb the rest out to, like, uh, different people coming to England? What do you think they're doing with the rest of that medieval castle? Do you think it's just, like, office space for the cult leader? Ah, <laughs> uh, good question, James. What do you think? <laughs> um, they're probably Airbnb it out, you know. <laughs> yeah, nineteen seventies Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. It might be a way for them to convert some people to the cult too. Um, I mean, one of the gaslights of this movie is that moment where it makes it makes it seem that the guy was a detective, the cult leader. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, like when that happened, I thought that maybe he's like uh, some sort of lord or some you know british bullshit like that the the knighted knighted person Uh you know like falling into the whole conspiracy of like jack the reaper being had been uh you know a a a person of the aristocracy like i did consider that uh when it came to this cult leader of being also like an aristocratic british character and that's why he owned like the castle hmm that could make sense, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I guess it's a little unclear uh, in the end, like what his, uh, how much money they had. Maybe they were just, they're probably just renting it. Or maybe they were um, uh, people that just used it unauthorized. Maybe. I mean, the guy was, um, no, I think the castle was his. I think they were, from, from the, the ending where they tried to explain the plot to you, <laughs> uh, when they try to explain the plot to you, apparently, like this was a, these were drug dealers, who were also like a cult, like Satanist cult. So you could say that as, like you know, this could be a kingpin, like completely uh, selling LSD to everyone, and that's how he made his money. So then you know he owns a castle because, you know, it's just like. Just like the Mercer Island kids selling cocaine uh, back in the <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> no, it was late 2000s. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, them being drug leaders, that makes sense. I, I buy that. Um, especially in the 70s. 
the the market cap of drugs is rising, um, especially in like London. It's probably a good market to be in. Uh, so if you have a satanic cult, uh, a good way to fund it. Uh, yeah, yeah. What did you think of the distorted lenses and the way that it was filmed? Uh, were you a fan? I mean, yeah, especially because the purpose of the movie was to keep you confused on when something was real or not. So um, there are moments where there's a very good a good use of filters and distorted lenses to to make you think, oh, this is fake. But then later on, they show you, no, she she did kill the like, she did kill Mary or whatever her name was. Uh, so it it makes it hard to know when something is a dream or a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with like even at the end, you know, like it's it's sort of hard to know whether she's dreaming or shit is actually happening. And and that's the point, right? Like that's the point of the movie. She thinks she's delusional, and at the end you're like, well, you know, am I am I watching this from a reliable narrator? Narrator. And you're not. Yeah, you're definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Um, some of the supporting cast uh, before we wrap up. Um, so uh, uh, Ivan Rasimov appears in this film again, uh, this time mm-hmm. sporting some very blue contact lenses. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he has a very similar role in this film, uh, except, well, I guess not similar in terms of like who he is in the plot and stuff like that, but he's basically there to exude menace and freak her out, um, kind of yeah. like he does in the first film. How did you find him in this one? I mean, he, he looks evil. Uh, that That's basically... I, I don't know. Like I, I He seemed like a Grim Reaper in a way, right? Like, he's just like... Wherever he shows up, you're like, okay, he's going to try to kill her or do something to her. Yeah. And he almost exclusively exists in her dreams until he becomes, like, a real life. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, halfway there. And you realize he's part of the uh, cult as well. Um Okay. Um, what about Wait, her... it, uh-huh. like? What I understand is, had she been like, "Fuck it, I okay, I'm part of the cult, and I'm going to be killing people and all that," wouldn't that foil the entire uh, sister's plot? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or maybe the sister could kill her in one of the satanic cult rituals, or could or trick someone to kill her. But Mary, when she was killed, actually, she was she went willingly. Like, yeah. she was the one who walked and, like, stabbed herself because she was a cult member. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she drank the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jane, on the other hand, you know, like, what if she drank the Kool-Aid? What if she went like, all in in this cult? Then the sister, Barbara, if I'm not mistaken, she would have been completely screwed out of the money. This is the part of the plot where, you know, the movie tries to make sense of itself. Yeah. And you're like, well, what? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this movie trips over itself a little bit more in terms of the plot and stuff like that. I mean, there's some weird stuff going on. I mean, part of it is, it's a little hard to make sense of it totally because so much of it is like dreamy and dream sequences. So you don't totally know what's like reality, but there's definitely like a premonition that uh, Jane gets uh, right before the ending because you sort of right. see that scene play out a couple times. 
Um, and like for some reason, she's dreaming of Ivan Rasimov's character with the blue contacts before she actually sees him. Why is that happening? I don't ever really know. Um, but did she dream of him before? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while you were talking about that initial scene, I loaded it up just to see, and I'm staring at uh, Ivan Rasimov's fucking blue ass contact lenses over here right now. Uh, I don't know if you can see that, but they're very blue. And but is he dressed in drag in that one? Um, let's see. This is three minutes in. Uh, no, he's he's the stabber. Uh, but oh. I don't I don't know they ever really uh, see him. You just see the blue contact lenses. Okay, because at the end he also he 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 wasn't even the person who killed her mother. It was someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, I feel like that dream sequence is sort of a play into her loss of her baby plus the death of her mother. Right, right, right. Um, how do you think uh, this film compares to Rosemary's Baby? Any other things we want to talk about as far as those two films? Sort of... So I, I feel like that, that that's one of the bigger flaws of this film is mm-hmm. that it didn't know... Sure, the director said that he wanted to make something less intellectual or whatever he said. Um, but I felt like he he wanted to make Rosemary's Baby, but he wanted to he wanted the movie also to fit the Giallo uh, mold, and you can't have both because the Giallo mold like mold is straight up a murder mystery. At least from all the movies I've seen, you know, you can have really striking imagery, imagery, and even dreamlike sequences within uh, the Giallo films that we've watched so far. But they're all, at the end of the day, are like grounded mysteries where there's a motive of the killer, the killer is doing something, and even though it looks like a serial killer, either the killer is just a crazy person or the killer is a person who's doing something for money. But you, you get something grounded. Here right. you added a cult that's still technically grounded, but you add some supernatural stuff like her having her premonitions, her seeing people from like before they see she sees them bef- like before she ever met someone she sees them or um, uh, I mean you know the, the is it a dream is it a reality that's that's fine. But you, you get all these, you know, supernatural things because of the cult. But then the director is like, all right, I got all this supernatural stuff, but I still want to have the Giallo plot. So the sister will still be wanting to kill, like Barbara wants to kill Jane because of the money. Yeah. And so we're going to have a cop explain all of this to you. Mm-hmm. And even say that Barbara was the, the mastermind of this cult when clearly she wasn't. She was important, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, so... They're, they're so he's trying to just have it both ways, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that, that's what makes this movie so ambitious, and I don't think it it, it hits all the spots. In, in, instead, it just becomes sort of um, exhausting. Okay. Yeah. Where are you as far as Rosemary's Baby goes? Are you a fan? I am a fan. Okay. I, I, I really like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Um... I also um, liked Rosemary Baby. I think it's probably a much better film than this one. Um, I think this film 
is pretty obvious in what it does in terms of like smashing you with like these wild ass dream sequences and stuff like that. Um, so I, in that sense, I think do think it is probably a little less intellectual. Whereas Rosemary's Baby has a lot of like small, smaller, subtle uh, human elements and human inter- interactions that are sort yeah. of like on the uncanny side um, that sort of play in um, that are probably a little harder to pick up on, but are probably a little more rewarding um, and interesting to go. Um, that being said, if you put me into a room and you're like, you got to pick one to watch, um, probably most of the time I'd pick this film just because it's easier uh, easier to go down. Rosemary's Baby is like a difficult watch. Uh, it's a very, very good film. I think it's it's uh, probably the ultimate gaslighting film. But uh, sometimes you just got to – this film's 45 minutes shorter. Um, <laughs> yeah. As you said, it tries to do probably too much. But it also makes for a pretty entertaining watch. Um Maybe not a great back-to-back with Mrs. Ward, but, you know, um, I think it's pretty fucking entertaining. All right, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and, I mean, that that might be the exhaustion part of me that, you know, might be talking as well. <clears throat> I, I do think this is a harder watch than Mrs. Ward, uh, too. Um, so, I mean, Mrs. Ward, I think, is... I mean, it's just so pulpy um, and just so enjoyable that it just goes down like candy. Um yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh, Bruno Nicolai uh, did the score here, who is noted for uh, working on uh, uh, Morcone film or Morcone films, Jesus, uh, Leone films with Morcone. Um, the score, I think, is really notable. Um, it's very different from the Rosemary's Baby score. It just It's very on the nose as far as being satanic, but I think it still mostly works. Um, It's very very 70s, too. Yeah, I I have that shit stuck in my head for a couple days afterwards. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, Uh, and uh, anything else you wanted to shout out um, about this film? Um, I mean... I will appre- I, I do wanna, I do appreciate the the film's intent in gaslighting you and know, keeping you confused. I, I do think that that's pretty good. Um, yeah, but, and the music I actually did enjoy the music in this film quite a bit. So I guess those are my shout outs. Okay, there you go. Um, okay. Um, uh, this was also a Spanish co-production, which I wouldn't have thought of, um, but playing the Spanish roles here uh, were, or to meet the quota, were uh, the sister, Neves Navarro, um, who is from Spain, uh, and uh, she actually is the protagonist in a number of Jello films, and she's actually more interesting in some sense because she plays a much more um, active protagonist. I think she probably translates to 2021. Um, a little bit better than maybe some of the more passive roles like this one. Um, so she has a couple interesting Giallo titles to her name. I, I'm a fan of her. I don't think this is her best role. Um, for me, she barely caught my eye uh, watching this. Uh, did you have any quick thoughts on her? Yeah, no, she, I mean, she was good at keeping some ambiguity on whether or not she's a good person or not. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she had a very small role. Right. I mean, I guess in some sense, she's sort of like the husband role um, from Mrs. Ward in this film. Uh, and then uh, the cult leader was also played by a Spanish uh, actor, uh, who I thought was also pretty good. Okay, yeah. so uh, who won the movie? 
huh, um, the editor of those all those dream sequence and stuff. <laughs> all right. Uh, I am going to give it to uh, uh, Bruno Nicolai uh, for the score, uh, just because I think it's, it's, it's like if you're just grading everything on 1 to 10, I think that's probably the 10 in this film. It's just the trippy-ass fucking score. Um, yeah. And the montages. The montages. Oh, my God. The montages are great. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, and, you know, I think this is one of those, like, films that's, like, the flawed Italian Rosemary's Baby. Okay. Give me <laughs> your uh, rating for this. Uh, six. Okay. Uh, for me, this is kind of seven or eight. Uh, I grade it one point lower than uh, Mrs. Ward. Uh, so, I, I guess we are kind of eye-tie on it, um, where... Be, uh, it's not necessarily our favorite Jello. Um, okay, so after watching these two films by Sergio Martino, would you watch more from him? Probably. Uh, I mean, this, <clears throat> these two are really different. I mean, sure, they tackle some similar themes, um, but uh, they're very different movies. So I am curious in seeing what else he, he has done. Um, uh-huh. And maybe... You know, in hopes that to see like what what he can do with that. Um, maybe with you know better writers. One thing. So this is one criticism I, I will have from for these old movies, and I mean this is kind of a very like you know anti old movies guy maybe criticism. But especially with uh, these old Italians and um, films, is is that the whole dubbing does get in the way. Like you don't, because especially when you're talking about the acting, like it's really hard to judge someone's acting when you have their their dialogue being dubbed later, um, and it, especially when it's not done well. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So I I don't know that that's just I guess something that like some of these movies I don't have it so much with others I do right and uh, this one I this this last two just made me think about it you know we we're talking about their actors and it, it's just so hard to f- truly judge them um, I mean it, it happens when you're watching foreign films anyways like mm-hmm. if I'm watching like I a, mean. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go. Ahead. Oh no! I mean, basically, it happens when you're watching foreign films. Like, if I'm watching like a a Korean film, I don't know if the inflections really are correct, but at least they strike me and they're coming out of their mouth. And with this movie, sometimes the actor seems to be doing one thing, and the vocal inflections are doing something completely different, and that really sort of um, makes me not appreciate as much as I could the actor you know like it's almost like if this was a a silent film it would work better (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, I I mean I hear your point and I think it it impacts certain Italian films more than it does others I mean like the good the bad and the ugly is so visual something like that that the dubbing and stuff like that 
you barely notice it. Um, whereas like some of these giallo films, like this film has a fair amount of dialogue and stuff like that. So it's just going to be a lot more up and in your face, especially if the dubbing is just, you know, average or, or mediocre in some way. So I think it certainly impacts some more than others. <clears throat> like the Poliziotaskis, maybe a little less so too, just because uh, it's just so silly and like, like over the top anyways that it matters less. But when you're trying to get like realistic portrayals of gaslighting, I think I think you have a pretty real point there. Um, so I, I I guess I I do I, I I can certainly understand your point of view there. Um, I've just become very used to the dubbing too. So <clears throat> uh, it's interesting uh, that you say that these films are very different um, because actually I think the first time I saw these films I think I probably would have agreed with you that they are very very different and I think they are quite different, but. For me, uh, they actually started to converge a little bit just because maybe I was looking at the Edwidge Fennec characters in both and the way and her the way her relationships are constructed and portrayed and the lack of trust that she has for men. In some ways, I think they've aged quite well um, in interesting ways, even if it has less of like the 21st century really active woman protagonist um, right. that you might see in uh, some of these other films. So uh, that's an interesting point. Um, uh, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think Martino has a pretty interesting filmography, so I do hope that we can watch um, a couple more of his other films. I think it makes him a little bit more challenging to, uh, to sort of channel compared to someone like Argento, who has a lot of the same similar films, and uh, you can sort of see similar themes throughout his films. Mm-hmm. But uh, Martino, uh, he's one of the four big directors of Giallo. He probably would be the fourth of those, so uh, happy to bring a couple of his films onto the show. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. And any last words, Inyaki? Um, you know, yeah, once again, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, for listening to us. Yeah. Shout outs to um, Inyaki's mom. My mom? <laughs> if she made it to the end. If she made it to the end, send Inyaki an emoji right now. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> all right. Anyways, um, thank you so much to our listeners. And, you know, if you have any questions, comments about our shows, or you have any ideas of movies for us to review, uh, you know, we have this open invitation. We haven't heard many ideas. So, you know, you can definitely, you know, email us at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com. As well as uh, hit us on Twitter at zafilmtofilm. There you go. So... And thanks so much for listening to us. And yeah. We'll see you guys next time.